I'd like you to take a moment to imagine. Imagine you had just been sentenced to 16 years in a Thailand prison. That's exactly what happened to our next guest, who shares a story about being convinced he is going to die to one of finding fulfillment after trauma. Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Hello and welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. My name is Scott Berry, along with my co-host, counterpart extraordinaire, Joshua Wenner. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Today, we've got a very special guest with us tonight. Uh, his name is Mark Hoy. He's the author of Lasting Happiness, and he's been on kind of a, a similar journey as Josh and I have been on uh, these last few years about really dissecting you know, what makes people happy, personal fulfillment, and things on that area. So let's welcome our, uh, our host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really appreciate being here. And hello to you also, Joshua. Yeah, great to, great to have you here with us, Mark. Absolutely. And uh, you're calling in from uh, Arizona, that's correct? Right, from Tucson. Nice little town here in the Southwest. Beautiful. Before we start to dive into the juiciness of uh, fulfillment, which we just love to talk about, why don't you give us a little bit of background on kind of what brought you to your journey into this world, a little bit um, of your background, anything you want to share that might be relevant, and uh, we'll just kind of dive in from there. Okay, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Scott. Essentially, I come to this through a very painful experience. Um, I worked in the jewelry industry for many years and had traveled throughout Europe and Asia and had settled in Thailand. And uh, I was living there in Thailand when a friend of mine um, murdered a woman in my house in Northern Thailand. So I was terribly afraid of the Thai police. Um, They're well known for torturing people. And um, I made a fatal error, I hesitated. And so there I was, and of course I was drinking as well. That wasn't helping things. Um, I came back to my house after a business trip and found um, a woman dead in my house and my friend uh, who had committed the murders had strangled her. So I began drinking. I didn't know what to do. was afraid of going to the police. And rather than going to the police and turning my friend in, I decided to help him cover it up. And that decision cost me 16 years of my life. So I went to Thai prison, and the Thai police and the judicial system really weren't interested in having me there. Uh, They wanted me to go home. They wanted bribe money is what they wanted. They didn't care about the crime. But I didn't have that kind of money. I had about $13,000 in my account, and uh, that was not what they were after. So to make a long story short, um, I endured over five and a half years of the Thai prison system and survived that and then came back and did another 11 years in the, in the federal system, in the prison system here in the United States. The Thai prison experience was what really produced the book that I've written. In essence, um, it, when you face death on a daily basis, and I died, nearly died many times, and I was surrounded by people dying horrible deaths, and um, so I'm watching people by the hundreds die, literally. And um, that experience forces you to confront yourself. And I was not really a good person. 
Um, I didn't have integrity. I was chasing the wrong things. Um, I think my goals were skewed. And uh, I, I just was not a good person. But that experience was transformative. And the choices that face you when you're in that situation are basically either you die because of many various reasons. Easy to do that. A lot of people become drug addicts because heroin's easily available. Many people go crazy. But one alternative that is available that does happen uh, is that you face your demons, you face yourself, and you decide that this is going to be something that changes you for the better and that you emerge from that a wiser person. And that's essentially what happened to me because I forced, I was forced to face who I was and I didn't like what I saw. And so from that experience and, and realizing that something really profound that at, at root we're very, very simple. Human beings like to complicate things, but essentially we are very simple creatures. All we need is a little bit of love and respect. That's all we need. If we have healthy relationships with ourselves and others, happiness is possible. And that realization was what uh, was the seed, really, for what the book became. And many, many years later, lots of research, lots of work, um, Literally tens of thousands of pages of scholarly research went into this book that I borrowed tools and techniques from wonderful, brilliant people, scientists, doctors, and so forth. Most of it's actually not my work. The framework is, but I've borrowed tools and techniques liberally from really brilliant people. And um, the rest of the book really is simply um, kind of like my way of giving back in a way, kind of a gift, and my attempt to make up for the life that I led. And... Um, it is essentially, uh, all it is is a, a guidebook so that people can actually create a rich, fulfilling, happy life. And it's not difficult. It does require some effort. It does require some change. It does require a willingness to put in that, you know, that extra effort and that time. But happiness is available for anybody. And it's not something far out. It's not something that difficult. Um, I think people read a lot too much into the whole process. And it, what it starts with, of course, is a good relationship with yourself. So sorry if I kind of uh, dragged that out a little bit, but anyway, that's the heart of it. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing. And it sounds like you endured a, a really difficult uh, journey. I, I'm curious in case anybody, uh, I didn't know the background as well as the type prisons. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it or prefer not to. Mm, sure. If you are just for any, any other audience members, and I've been to Thailand, but uh, you know, you see in Bali, like, hey, if you have marijuana, you're, you know, you go to jail or there's death and you hear some of these claims. But uh, for anybody listening that that may be curious to what, you know, what that um, what the system is like, or you said there was hundreds of people dying to me, my mind kind of went, I just wanted to understand a little bit more clarity on what that structure looks like or what the system was like. Uh, just, you know, very briefly, basically what it is, is the Japanese left a system of prisons throughout Southeast Asia when they conquered Southeast Asia. And those prisons, generally speaking, are the prisons that are in use today. Um, they've done nothing but decay and get nastier and dirtier. Uh, the locals have not really built their own prison system. They just use the one that the Japanese left behind. So when you see pictures of like, for example, the bank, the uh, Hanoi Hilton from the old Vietnam War pictures, those are still being used. And that's what I spent five years in. And um, the deaths are from a number of reasons, but a lot of it is from starvation and malnutrition. A lot of deaths are from uh, simple diseases that 
uh, antibiotics would cure, but the locals just don't have the money to pay for antibiotics because they're in prison and they're, you know, poverty stricken. Uh, it's a poor country anyway. It's richer than the neighbors, but it's still very poor third world country. So um, dirty water, uh, lack of food and bad food, uh, simple diseases and you know tb is a big killer and then of course you also have aids so and then on top of all of that is the drug addiction and the uh, opiate overdoses which are quite frequent so all of those uh, contribute to the death toll which is actually uh, extraordinarily high in prisons in southeast asia yeah then thank you so much for filling in that gap and then it, i think it helps paint a deeper picture um, um for anybody listening as well as what it took to survive you know where you what places you had to go in order to change your thinking change your logic like you know a daily basis like how do i make it through this from walking in that first door of seeing the conditions to the water to like wow this is my life for at the time it sounded like what the next you thought initially maybe is what's 15 16 years Wow. Yeah, I th- I, actually, I was pretty sure I was going to die there. Huh. Yeah, I was almost, I was almost sure that this was the end of me. <laughs> so you, <laughs> there was not, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of hope in that in that uh, environment. So that's, so I think that's a part that I'm, I'm curious on is, is walking in with, okay, this is it, this is where I'm going to die. Um, how long did it take, or where was, where was that moment when it started to shift? Like, was it? Uh, you know, the, the ego got beaten out of you. It's you, you mentioned, you know, I wasn't a good person. I didn't have integrity. I lacked some of these things. Was there a point a year in or two years in that you got to a certain level that you started praying or I'm just curious on your, that, that transformational process, how it started to evolve and where were the moments when, you know, were there certain moments that started to, uh, you know, could go right the, the transformation. Correct. Right. Um, well actually, you know, I'd always had, um, a very long history of, of spiritual practice, you know, mixed in there because it's always been a fascination of mine. And um, I really did have a good education and a good background growing up. I grew up in Northern California. Uh, my family were basically all professional people. Um, but my grandfather was a biblical scholar and uh, he helped translate the Berkeley version of the Bible, Lawrence Farr. And he, um, uh, that kind of led me on a spiritual path. And, and so I'd already, you know, practiced mindfulness, practiced meditation, um, studied a lot of different spiritual doctrines and things and had a lot of experiences, but I hadn't, it hadn't really changed me that much. And uh, it was very quickly into my uh, prison experience. I was there less than two weeks and uh, they cut off the food supply. They, the, uh, prison uh, authorities in northern Thailand found out that um, I couldn't eat the local food because what they were providing really wasn't food. Uh, the feral cats that haunted the prison wouldn't eat it, if that gives you an idea of how bad that was. And um, so uh, I was paying for these uh, muffins, these uh, banana bread muffins that they were smuggling and the Chinese prisoners had a scam going where they'd smuggle in food. And um, so they cut that off. And uh, so I wrote my will and I sent it to the local, uh, to Carl, really, really good guy, uh, the consul general there in Chiang Mai, the U.S. consul general, and said, I'm really sorry, Carl, but you're going to have to uh, take care of my effects because I'm going to die. And um, what happened was I went without food for about a week and a half. And I don't know if you've ever been through it. But your body, you undergo a very interesting experience when you uh, die of hunger, if you will. You the, the veil between this life and the next one gets really thin. And you 
realize uh, so many things fall away and you realize that most of what you thought was important is completely irrelevant and it's kind of an interesting experience you realize that what really matters is who you love and who has loved you and that was the beginning because at that point i realized wow that's just so simple and yet i never had faced that i'd never looked at that and that was where the change began very soon into the experience hmm. That's so interesting. It for I know for a lot of people that when people come into um, any type of uh, significant emotional event in their life, a lot of times it, it it'll rattle you up enough and it takes away the distractions. You know that my uh, that my coffee was cold or that there's a, a little extra traffic on the way to work, and it it kind of like you said it kind of strips away at the all of the access to kind of the core foundation of like god what what is it that we actually need to actually be happy what is it this type of connection that actually will make us happy it will actually make us fulfilled and you'll see this a lot with other people's uh, se their significant emotional events but you'll also see it with any kind of death in the family you'll see it when you know the the twin towers went down you know whenever there's a there's a, a really big tragedy. You know, I do a lot of work with uh, relationships and a lot of times there'll be a lot of infidelity when there is a big SEE in someone's life because it kind of makes them look at their life in a different way. of like, okay, well, what else is there? And, and, and what, what's the real substance of all of this? And it sounds like you got stripped away, <laughs> I mean, down to yeah. the, the bare, bare, bare essentials. And it sounds like there's a, there's a really good book, um, which I'm sure you may be familiar with. It's um, Viktor Frankl. It's a man's search for sure. meaning, right? And, okay. and, and so I keep getting these parallels of, for those of you who don't know, this was a guy who was in the concentration camp in the Nazi regime. And, you know, what is it about certain individuals that actually keep them going to, you know, still have somewhat of a fulfilled life or still be able to actually carry on? And it sounds like you were in very similar footsteps because a lot of people, like you said, I thought I was going to die. At what point do, you know, at what point do you say, I just kind of give up and allow myself to die? And then at what point do you say like, well, I'm going to die, but I'm actually going to connect to my spiritual practice or connect to the possible outcome of getting out here and telling my story or connecting and having deep relationship. Was there ever a point when you're like, I just want to give up? Well, not, not really, actually. What it's more of a, it's more a matter of surprise kind of what happens is that you, you simply face your mortality and then you realize, okay, it's, it's over. Um, yeah, I didn't do what I wanted to do. And you come to terms with that and it's very emotional. It's intense, but you do. And, and you say, you know what? Darn, wish I could have had another chance, but that's the way it goes. And so, but what happens in that process is that you, your, your real core, 
what it is you want to achieve, your life goals become clear. That is what's important about it. And that's what Viktor Frankl, Primo Levi, there was a number of genocide survivors that wrote about that. And that's what happens when you face your mortality. And it's a very, very valuable experience. And um, you suddenly, your, your goals are crystal clear. The things that you didn't achieve are crystal clear. The things that you did wrong that you want to try and write, if you could become clear. And what happens is that when you survive, ah, now you have the chance to do something about that. You had, you've already made your peace with death. I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I've accepted that long, long ago. But what happens is that you have a chance, another chance to do to do something transformative. Mm. And that's that's where that change comes. And you see that actually there's a number of examples in literature. Uh, Dostoevsky's work was all uh, from that transformative prison experience he had. Of course, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Gulag Archipelago, all of his work, Cancer Ward is all from prison experience. Mm -hmm. Even Dickens, uh, basically he was a child in prison in a workhouse, which at that time was a prison for children in London, Dickensian in, in, you know, or Victorian London. So there's a long history of, uh, you know, people, uh, even in fact, the first novel is thought mm. to be a uh, Don Quixote uh, was thought to be the product of uh, that uh, Cervantes's experience in a Moorish prison. But in any case, um, all that antecedent doesn't really matter, I don't think. But it's just emerging from trauma, taking that trauma and transforming it into something that's valuable. And so and I'm, I'm hoping that what I have to share uh, resonates with people and, and holds some value for them. That's my real, it's my real hope. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And it, it sounds like, you know, that clarity is something that I think a lot of people really strive for their entire life. And, you know, I, I know for a lot of people that when any type of really big emotional experience kind of comes into play. It's a, it's a really beautiful opportunity, even though the, the, the tragedy and the hardship can be uh, very intense. It's moments like these in, you know, we could sit here for the next seven hours and just go example over example over example of people who have, you know, had near death experiences and all of a sudden it's like they found their purpose, you know? Um, And so I, I would imagine, you know, as we start to move forward into, um, you know, the fulfillment and happiness and, and, and all the revelations that you're looking to share, um, I would imagine that, uh, or I'll, I'll ask you that as you look back, the revelations are something that I, that I can tell and the clarity I can tell is something that you are um, very grateful and very thankful for. And do you think that this type of revelation uh, would have come up had you not have had this the significant emotional experience in your life. No, no, certainly not. It it was definitely a product of trauma, yeah. and um, I think that pretty much, um, you know, there, uh, they talk about great works of art being uh, the product of pain. Which, and I think there's there's some truth there. I mean, the one thing that that came to me that has always held true, and I think that is very simple, but a beautiful tool that the average person could use. And this is what the product of that experience uh, produces, is you look at your life kind of like a story. And if you can do that, if you can step back and say, let me look at that. Let me look at that life. Let me look at my life and think of it as a story. 
Now, how would you change that story if you could? How, how do you, what kind of story do you want to tell? What kind of story do you want your life to be? And what do you have to do to make that story come true? And so I always thought that was, and that, that felt very uh, apropos to me, I, that applied to me, and I, I've applied that since then. And um, it's like, <laughs> I wanted to have a happy ending. Okay, well, what do you got to do? And uh, so, uh, and, you know, I want to change parts of it. So I think that that's something that the average person could kind of use uh, to simply step back and say, yeah, you know what? I don't need massive trauma to do this. I can do this just by stepping back and saying, okay, if my life is a story, how do I change it to be the story I want it to tell? And um, I think that that's a powerful tool that the average person could, you know, it starts there, I think, would be would be a good one to begin with. Yeah, and I would imagine that's part of your, your message, too. It's, you know, a lot of people, you know, sometimes have to go through that, that, that tragedy or that trauma to actually kind of get the, the universal message that's been kind of poking at them for, for mm-hmm. a little bit because it's been wanting to entice them to... Um, bring into their existence, bring into their conscious, bring into their awareness. Um, but I love what you said about, um, you know, hopefully that some of this messaging could allow them to step into that without having to go through their own hardship, you know, um, right. because there's, there, there's multiple pathways to it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Many, many different roads that lead there. Um, the tool that I share, um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can can get there, but it is a really valuable exercise if you can do that facing your mortality. Um, I offer a, a, an exercise that the Japanese used, and this comes from the samurai period in the, the feudal period in the 16th and 17th centuries in Japan, where the samurai culture was at its height. And many times they would be ordered to commit seppuku or ritual suicide by their lords, the samurai, the knights, if you will. Um, if for some, you know, imagined slight or whatever, sometimes it would be they would be facing a battle and uh, uh, prepared themselves for death. But essentially, they would sit down for an hour or two before they would die and compose a haiku, compose a poem that was essentially um, the heart of it was their experience in this world and what they wanted to communicate to the reader of the poem. And the most beautiful ones were layers of meaning. They, they had a metaphor usually, and then they tried to communicate something important to the reader. And it became a kind of a contest among samurai because a witty or a brilliant death haiku could make them famous. And um, that ultimately led to a practice that I have kind of borrowed and I put it in the book and it's there for people that want to use it, but it's a wonderful exercise. Um, When I was on the edge of death at the very beginning uh, in that first two weeks, I composed my own death haiku and um, I'll share that with you just really briefly. Um, The haiku is three lines of five syllables, seven syllables and five syllables. And my death haiku is no destination is reached by clouds in the sky, only endless change. And um, you don't have to commit, uh, you know, you don't have to commit to this to have that kind of clarity. And, but it is a very valuable experience. And I would highly recommend to anybody that has trouble focusing or getting a grasp of their life goals, 
to um, take a little time, maybe volunteer at a hospital as a visitor to people that are lonely. Do the same at an old age home. And I think that that experience is close enough to where you're going to see very clearly what it is that you regret and what you hope to achieve. So you don't have to actually imagine your own death, which is kind of extreme, but you can certainly get there just by a couple of hours volunteering at a hospital or at an old age home. And, and, and you're there and all of a sudden there's clarity and that's really, really valuable. Yeah. I love, I love, uh, I love that direction. I do a lot of work, uh, men's work and I do a lot of work on grief, loss and trauma. And, um, a lot mm-hmm. of it has to do with facing, facing our death. Um, a lot of times mm-hmm. in facing it, the irony is that it actually teaches us how to live more fully in facing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I resonate with, with that line of thought. And I really love the haiku, uh, beautiful, uh, process to turn it into art and creativity. Um, Thank you. You know, as you're, I know you have three primary sections of the book are really around love, meaning, creativity, and you, mm-hmm. you, as you were describing the first one, it sounds like you got the first lesson in the first two weeks, which was about love, which I thought <laughs> was really beautiful, and it sounds like the, the greatest lesson it sounds like for you is about love. That's, I liked how you put that as like yeah. it's all that really matters in the end. Um, I'm yeah. curious, you know, under that, if you had to give a couple. Uh, what would be the most valuable lessons or something somebody could take away from that lesson? I mean, it's so deep in its, its, its origin, but was there uh, a takeaway or something deep? Cause you have really, I mean, you talk about forgiveness and different pieces within it, which I'm a big fan of forgiveness, but I'm curious of if there was a big takeaway under that, that somebody could really resonate or you wanted to leave them with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for asking that. The, the hardest thing for most people, especially in the West, because we're raised in, in such a way that it becomes, it's difficult, but uh, getting to the point where you love yourself, having a good relationship with yourself, that's the foundation for a happy life, no question. And that relationship is problematic for most people. I think there's very few people who can look themselves in the eye in the mirror and honestly say, I love you. You're a really good person. And I really want the best for you. And it's so rare in our society that people can honestly say that from the heart and mean it. And getting even part of the way there, even like a couple steps in the right direction is huge. So uh, when it comes to love, it begins at home. And I would say that starting the process, just being kind to yourself a little bit, be a little less judgmental, forgive yourself a little bit. And the big takeaway is if you can improve your relationship with yourself to the point where you like yourself, now it becomes possible to like and love others. Without that, if you don't like yourself, if you don't love yourself, you can't love other people. It's just not possible. You can't have a healthy relationship and you desperately need that. And so the big thing that I took away is it begins with yourself and then you extend that out to others. And that's, um, I think that's a core lesson that many, many people, uh, they're not kind to themselves. They're very judgmental. They're very harsh. They deny themselves pleasures. Um, They don't do things that would make their life better. Uh, They've imbibed and kind of um, 
I mean, we're taught very, very young, we're domesticated as children, and that taming process is all about how others' uh, needs are more important than our own, and that that is just imbued in us, and it's, in, it's true in many, many cultures around the world. And so, in consequence, our own needs and our own experiences are kind of denigrated to a certain extent. We kind of um, put them to the side and say, you know what? Um, what somebody else is telling me, another authority is more important. My experience has to be ignored. Uh, my own needs, my own feelings, I'm going to ignore those in favor of somebody else. And it's not selfishness to do what you need. It's not selfish to help yourself become a better person. It's not selfish to do what is necessary so you can love yourself. And that, I think, is a good starting point, Josh. But thank you for bringing that up. Mm. Yeah, that was that was really beautiful what you just said. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love what you said about not just the self-love, but the self-forgiveness and, and, and how important that actually is. And, um, you know, this, this whole, I've, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but this whole idea of being spiritually selfish, so you just have more to give, you know, the, the whole idea of the airplane mass that come down, um, that saying really encapsulates a lot of what you just said. But um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it really stems from how do you start to be okay with yourself, love yourself, the, the imperfections, love all of the, uh, you know, the places in which uh, we're not happy with, you know, the, 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 the struggles or how come I'm not here and, you know, how come I'm not spending more time here or, 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 or connecting more with my family or whatever it happens to be. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really do love that. And, um, you know, and I think you're right from that place is when you can start to extend and connect and reach out to community, friends, and family, and 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 start to have more of that that broader reach, um, if you will. And then, so as you move into uh, meaning, uh, why don't you uh, share a little bit about what that encapsulates and how that adds to um, you know one's happiness? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I would say that. The old, I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, but he was a brilliant mythographer. Um, his whole career was at Columbia University. And he was the one, he wrote uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces. And he had a lot to say about the hero's quest and journey. And I think that what was most um, moving about his work for me, and I'm a great fan of Joseph Campbell's, is where he says, follow your bliss. And so the things that you love, the things that you're passionate about, the things that fascinate you and excite you, those should be the core of what you build your life around. The things that really matter to you and what's really important. And those values and visions, questions, you know, what is most important to me? What am I willing to die for? What causes really matter? What kind of suffering bothers me most and why? What can I do to make the world a better place? These are the kind of questions that if you're willing to ask them and you know, answer honestly, will transform your life. And so following your bliss, finding what it is that's really important to you, questioning yourself on those values, that's where it begins. And down the road, as, as things become clear, then what ultimately leads to meaning uh, and 
uh, creates a fulfilling life in that aspect is uh, very simple, again, um, sometimes can be difficult to achieve, but the simplicity of it, um, it's, I think most people would recognize the truth that meaning comes from caring and sharing. Meaning comes from our connections. And of course, it starts with self, but very rapidly, you'll find it, it relates to the people around you. And whether that's your immediate loved ones or a larger scale, whether that be your community, uh, whether it be people around the world, however you want to scale that, the, the bottom line here is you need to have caring and sharing connections. And if you can find a way to share what you are passionate about, you're going to have a wonderful, fulfilling life as far as meaning is concerned. It's going to be a purpose-filled life. And that, it's, it's, in my opinion anyway, and from what I've read, it's that simple. If you have people that you care about and that you love and that you want to help and you share what matters to you with them, <laughs> you've got it. And that's the heart of it. Um, the tools on how you do that, um, I give a number of different examples uh, in the book, but that's the heart of it. And I hope that that was, uh, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, it did. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, this whole concept of uh, pleasure versus um, fulfillment or pleasure versus happiness, where uh, pleasure is kind of this immediate gratification and it's a it's an inbound energy right so you'll get immediate pleasure from uh, doing drugs or alcohol or doing a quick workout or you know getting a gift or something where uh, fulfillment usually tends to something that's outbound versus inbound and the pleasure fulfillment is when you're exerting your passions, when you're helping somebody, um, you know, and a lot of times the fulfillment and the happiness side comes from doing work <laughs> where it's not mm -hmm. always the most mm -hmm. enjoyable process where I'm sure there's parts of, you know, when you're doing your book and the research, it's like, wow, this is, you know, this is a, a struggle at some points. It's like, oh, you get frustrated, but then overall, sure. you know, it help, keeps you going, but it's this whole, idea of you know inbound versus outbound and in that that idea of deep fulfillment is how do you give your passions to you know the the greater good your family mm -hmm. and 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 everything else and and I really love that and I I found at least for me um, what I've seen is that a lot of people especially here in the Bay Area where everyone wants to have the next startup and disrupt something in the industry. And uh, you'll find a lot of people leaving their jobs or wanting to leave their jobs because they're not doing and just chasing their bliss. And, um, you know, my, my personal opinion on this is we're not just here to do one thing. You know, we have, we have a few different facets of what we're passionate about. And, you know, we may have a family and, and we may not be able to quit our day job just to, you know, become a, a, a beautiful painter and mm -hmm. uh, not be able to uh, support our kids or support the family. But how do we, in the meantime, start to exert the things that we're passionate about and start to just start to at least lay some of that groundwork into our mm -hmm. life and, and bring into some of their life. But, but I really love that part. And I, and I would imagine some of the meaning also comes, ties into legacy and how you want to be remembered and, mm -hmm. and, and you're, not, you're not doing it for that but you know i think it kind of like ties into you know the whole death analogy that 
you know, if I'm going to die, it's like, oh God, how do I want to be remembered? I don't want to be remembered as the guy who just closed these big deals, but I want to be the guy who remembered, you know, that I was able to like give this and, you know, exert this and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think one thing that a lot of people could bring into their lives that um, is really valuable uh, is to transform work into art or poetry. And, there's many ways that you can do that, but the one that, that I like, um, this psychologist, and I always mangle his last name, Mihaly Chikzen, Mihaly, I think is how you pronounce it. I, it's a Czech name. But in any case, he wrote a book about flow. And the heart of the book is if you can get a task that's challenging, it can't be too challenging that you can't do it because then it just becomes frustrating. And it can't be too easy because then it just becomes kind of dull. But if you can find that fine line there where you can take something that you're already doing and making a little bit more challenging, you can get into a state where you're kind of like you're in a flow and that's where everything vanishes, where you are totally focused on the task and it becomes um, kind of like a peak experience and it's available for anything. You don't, it could be, you know, mopping a floor where it could be, I mean, you could apply it to any kind of activity or task, but if you can start to bring that in on a regular basis, that flow, that experience of flow where all of a sudden you're doing something that's a little bit more challenging and you get into that wonderful space where you're completely absorbed in your task. And that's kind of the essence of what uh, Taoists uh, were seeking to achieve when they talk about effortless achievement. Uh, it's the same sort of thing where you get into that flow and it's the, the task itself at hand where you lose the ego, um, you lose the you lose the rest of the world, really. You become absorbed in what you're doing. And uh, art at work as art or work as poetry is very similar in that what you're doing is you're taking a vision, you're taking a creative idea, and you're translating it into something physical. You never quite achieve what you're hoping for. You never quite are there. You're never fully satisfied with what you've created. But the process itself is transformative. And I think that that's something that average people could use um, on a daily basis and really change things quite a bit. Um, There's another thing I wanted to share just really quick when it comes to uh, meaning and tasks and things. It's, It's really quite simple to create a life that's fulfilling if you're willing to be concrete about things and devote the time and resources to doing it. And I think that's what we, you know, and you talk about the Bay area, absolutely. A lot of driven people that are uh, obsessed with whatever they're working on at the moment. But if you're willing to create the space to do it, if you're willing to set aside those times and, and resources to make it happen, you can do that. Um, I like to use the, uh, um, acronym IPA, IPA, like uh, India Pale L, but it's not. It's imagine, plan, and act. And if you do those three simple steps in a really concrete way, whatever it is that you want to achieve, you'll get there. You just have to describe in detail your dream. You really have to get it concrete and get what it is that you really want and get it down in detail. Once it's concrete, 
You get your facts, you get what you need, which is your planning stage. You, you figure out how, okay, how am I going to get there? What's blocking me? What do I need? And then finally, you make that decision and you act. If you can do that, all of even just on the slightest part of a dream, you'll find that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where more and more and more of what it is that you want become reality. And that's something that, uh, again, I think many people, their dream is sort of overwhelming because it's, it's so far away, it seems. But if you can just do that, that little step first, where some part of it's created, and you see the reality of it, that's all of a sudden, wow, now you can see the dream taking shape, and it gives you that energy and that boost to move forward with the rest of it. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with a lot of the fundamentals. Um, and I think um, the, you know, the, one of the challenges is, is a lot of the fundamentals are there through so many different stories and um, books and things, but people have a hard time applying them. And I'm curious mm -hmm. uh, what, what's coming up for me as I'm thinking about it is I think what may be useful also just to support this as well is, you know, how are you able to apply this? Because I think about, you know, as you opened, we started thinking about you in this harsh condition, you getting to the point of not eating after two weeks um, and finding the meaning of life of like, wow, okay, life's about love. And then there's in the next five years, <coughs> excuse me. So I think in that, like, to me, this is where it's really applicable of like applying meaning mm -hmm. of, of, you know, and I think I'm just seeing the parallel of like, where is somebody, I think a lot of people repeat patterns over and over again. You know, mm -hmm. they want success through finances and for some reason they can never quite achieve it or mm -hmm. they want a fulfilling relationship or whatever it is. A lot of times I, I think people are trying really hard to mm -hmm. succeed and for whatever reason, their patterns, their habits, their limitations, their self-imposed unconscious limitations, something stops mm -hmm. them. Uh, I feel like mm -hmm. inherently people are good and are trying to do the best they can. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this, uh, it's kind of like, how, how do I ever get out of this? And then mm -hmm. as you know, you had this experience, which was the last thing that you thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the work um, you mentioned Campbell and mm -hmm. uh, you know, Carl Jung with archetypes and a lot of these um, um, different um um, psychologists have mm -hmm. talked about, you know, the gold is in the wound mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and going into the wound. And mm -hmm. I guess there's a part of me that's curious, you know, you spent another five years in this really harsh environment mm -hmm. um, after you found meaning. Mm -hmm. So I, I initially thought, oh, maybe was it a couple years in or halfway in or towards the end, but it sounds like for you, it happened right away. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. How did you, you know, I guess I'm curious, how did you apply uh, that? Okay. Now I have the meaning of life. Now I know what I need to do. Uh -huh. Was it a daily practice? Was it moment by moment? Did you have to learn how to be, to feel and be really present with what was coming up and what your emotions were? Like, how did you, I guess I'm really curious, how did you survive mm -hmm. uh, these harsh conditions? Cause to me, I do know, the human spirit, if we want to leave, we'll leave. And I, I do sure. believe in a fundamental level, if you really didn't want to be here, mm -hmm. that you would have been more susceptible to die to right. something else um, right. in such a harsh condition. So I guess I'm curious, what was the meaning that you made or what did you focus on um, day to day to pull you through to come out and do what you're doing now, which is helping people and, and right. be able to uh, apply what, like, I guess I see the application of what you just said mm -hmm. is what you did. And I'm curious how you applied that and maybe mm -hmm. somebody could see the parallel of maybe they're not in this really harsh uh, prison, mm -hmm. but maybe for them, the relationship that they've wanted that they seem so far away from or the, the health that they want or mm -hmm. their, 
where they're trying to make a certain amount of money and they always can't get there may right. feel to them similarly. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, maybe how you applied this meaning to mm-hmm. get through such a harsh condition may apply to them on finding a way to break through. Absolutely. Um, one of the most crucial components, and it's um, one of the very first, it's actually the, I think it's the second or third chapter of the book. Um, but it, it, it focuses on the mental cages and traps that keep us in these unhealthy negative patterns and breaking them. And essentially what happened with me, and, and I think, you know, I, I've seen this true in many, many cases, is if you are willing to do that inner work of simply looking at the things that block you and limit you and cause you problems and trace them to the root, you'll have an aha moment. And if you can do it one time, you can do it many times. And ultimately, you'll transform that life because what happens is that you look at those idea structures and those beliefs that limit us and harm us. And you simply say, you know what? I'm not going to give that validity anymore. I am not going to let that stop me or dominate me or change me. And I'll give you a couple quick ones. Um, Again, you could spend hours just on the subject alone, days really. But there's there's three main uh, problems here, and, and I, I go into great deal in the book so people could follow along and use those different methods because a lot of it's complicated. But basically, there's the social game, which is, you know, the treats and traps and all the problems that we face in daily life that direct us towards uh, forcing us to use our energy to support the current system rather than reusing that energy to change our lives and make our lives the way we want them to be. And so we chase rewards and we fear punishments that society has set up. And th- that's a huge that's a huge whip. Uh, another one are self-image problems, and that's another big, big, big uh Uh, issue for the average person is the way that they are compared to what the media portrays as being perfect or ideal. And so we have all this, you know, negativity from, oh, I'm not the perfect body. I'm not the perfect life. I don't have the goodies. I don't have the material things. And um, so there's many, many different. And of course, then, well, you know, what we're trained in childhood again, but to, to kind of sum it up in a very simple way, Um, If you're willing to look at the idea structures and the belief systems that limit you, and a couple of examples are, for example, time, that's a big one. Uh, You're trapped by time in many ways. Uh, The clock is something that ties you to a machine rhythm that's alien to your body, and time is used by our society. Um, It's drilled into us. Another huge one is money, another whole belief system that has no external reality. It's simply an agreed upon symbol that we agree to exchange among ourselves. Um, and yet it dominates life. So, uh, and, and the list of these ideas is thousands and thousands long, religion, fashion, government, all of these are things that we agree are real, but are not. They're only human constructs. And if you're willing to begin with the ones that are the most painful and the most difficult, and change those. Simple awareness is all you need to break that cage. All you need is to be aware of that limit. And then saying, you know what, I'm not going to give that power anymore. <laughs> and the door pops open. Um, it, it can be a difficult, it can be difficult to reach. 
But once you're consciously aware of your limitations of the ideas that are blocking you, you can choose to reject them. Uh, another one that is a very useful tool, also pretty simple, um, is, you know, life is filled with pain and loss and suffering and difficulties. And it's something that we face on a daily basis. Um, many people have very painful, difficult lives. And instead of letting that weigh you down, instead of letting that become a problem and a chain, if you face it squarely and you accept it and you say, I will accept the fact that there is this pain in my life, I will accept this loss, but I'm going to use that energy to change. And that simple realization that you can use the energy of pain and loss as a spur for change, as an engine for growth, that can also be really transformative. And so those two things together, to really examine the ideas and the beliefs that are limiting you and to make a dedicated uh willingness to be a little bit courageous and be a little brave and face up to the things that are painful in your life, accept them and let it be a spur for growth. And uh, I'd say those two are very valuable exercises that people, and that, that was how I had, I know, sorry to, that I didn't bring that in, but um, that's how I did it. Um, and I think many people could do the same thing. It's not, again, it's not particularly I mean, it's fairly simple. Um, there is some difficulty there because we don't like to do self-examination. We don't like that. It's, it's difficult in that sense, but it's not hard as far as once you make up your mind to do it and you say, yeah, you know what? I'm, my life is filled with these things I don't like. Why? And that is the moment when it becomes possible to change. And, and I think that's just it. It's, it's, I think the, when you break it down to its core essence, and the idea of it and the structure of it is actually not difficult. Um, I think where the challenge comes in, and I also think this is where uh, the the work that you do, Josh, is so paramount because the whole idea of it's not complicated, right? Like when you to take another example, you know, the idea of losing weight and being healthy is not hard. Like ninety percent of the population knows how to be healthy. It's just how do you create the constructs and the support and the motivation in order to start doing the work to actually get a little bit dirty. And, you know, this is where I feel like your environment is, is so critical um, because it's either going to support or detract from you diving a little bit deeper into that world because it's, it, it's not easy. And um, it, it's the reason why most people do actually like to push that down and, and push it aside just because the immediacy of it, is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it's, it's how do you reframe it in a way that's like, okay, getting a little bit dirty now will lead to a lot of emotional freedom, a lot of spiritual freedom, a lot of uh, fulfillment. And I think Josh, this is, I think this is some of the core of what you do in your work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's wound work. It's doing the work of the core wounds, which is, you know, going into the wound and, and Rumi says the gold is where the wound is, or I just read another uh, poem from her quote today that says, you know, um, to remove the pain, go into the pain. You know, it's like the cure for the pain is in the pain. It's the same line of work of learning to feel, uh, emotionally feel those wounds and love them unconditionally. Uh, the surrender to them uh, gives us that 
that resiliency, that emotional resiliency, because we're not resisting what is anymore. We're not, uh, we're not fighting um, what is. And I, I feel like that's a big part of, as, even as I'm hearing your story, it's like totally accepting it, loving through it, loving it anyway, saying, hey, I'm here. Uh, this is my path and I'm going to love through this as hard as it is. Right. Uh, I also, on the Victor Frankl, I felt the same thing. It's like reading those books, you get so, they take you to that place. Uh, where they go. And um, there's something that there's some sort of something in the spirit that pulls us through it. I, li- I like what you said too, is we get really close to the veil. Mm. Yeah. And I relate to that as well. I feel like my traumas have, have opened that veil because you're asking for help. You feel like in such a dark place that you don't know how to get out of. And you just, there's no place else, but, but help, you know, help me, help me. How do I get out of this? Help me make it through it and praying and um, opening up those spiritual doors or those veils. Uh, and I think that's what lets in that light, that love and that freedom. And, and it teaches us that as much as we want to resist and run from the pains and the wounds, uh, it's actually where all the gold is and having mm-hmm. the courage to gently mm-hmm. navigate into them. Right. There was a wonderful, uh, he was actually an, an Irish monk, but he um, studied a, uh, philosophy and did a lot of things actually john o'donohue and he wrote a book called anamkara which means soul friend in irish and in his book and your quote just brought this to mind immediately he says each inner demon holds a precious gift and it's just beginning that conversation with that inner demon and uh that's the heart of it when you do talk about wounds it's the same thing it's the things that we hold that are fearful for us that we're ashamed of that we uh feel are negative or bad or troublesome or whatever simply sitting down with yourself in a non-judgmental gentle way and looking at those things and they can reveal some wonderful truths and uh, that's where the, the change uh, often begins. But simply looking at the things that cause you pain, the looking at the things that are blocking you from growth or from a healthy, happy life, if you're willing to do that work, if you're willing just to take the time, a couple of minutes a night to think about it, you can be in the transformative process by addressing them and saying, yeah, you know what, I can do a little thing. I don't have to, it doesn't have to be huge, but I can chip away at that and make it a little less painful, make a little less better, or pardon me, a little better. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the steady progression of that process le- leads to the fulfilled life and leads to the mm. happy. Because yeah. you are changing, you're, you're making positive change. And what happens over time is you're seeing results that are concrete and real, and that's going to give you more energy to do more change and ultimately uh, lead to where you want to be. They say that uh, as you start to get into a spiritual practice, that the spiritual evolvement isn't necessarily about when you become enlightened, you all of a sudden you're just like this higher connected force and you learn all these beautiful tools, but it's about getting back to our core. You know, what we're born in this life with this, this very pure, beautiful essence. And, you know, through life, we start to dim our light a little bit. And so a lot of this work isn't necessarily about finding the next tool and, you know, gaining all this knowledge, but it's about stripping away mm-hmm. the blocks that we put in our own path that block us from our own fulfillment, from our own higher connection, from our own self-love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so how do we do that? And, you know, and 
fortunately or unfortunately, that's where diving into some of the pain and and loving it and forgiving it um, mm-hmm. allows us to just feel so much lighter. You know, it's it, it's mm-hmm. that work that um, you know, unfortunately, is painful in the beginning, but then just freeing mm-hmm. afterwards. I know we're we're starting to to, to run to the uh, to the end. I did want to ask you. So my wife and I took a really beautiful extended trip to Southeast Asia uh, about a year awesome. ago. We did uh, four and a half months all through Southeast Asia. We were actually near the Hanoi Hotel that you mm-hmm. brought up a little bit earlier. Um, spending that much time in Thailand, as we are talking with uh, fulfillment and, you know, with the Thai people. So we spent uh, six weeks in Thailand and and we are living um, all over and, you know, they're not a first world country with lots of economic resources like we have here. But what I did find is their communal aspect, their family aspect, that there's so many other aspects of their life and their happiness, which mm-hmm. I felt in like contrast and stark contrast to what we have here in the West. And I was curious on your feedback since, uh, you know, you spent some time there. Where do you see the Western culture taking a backseat to maybe happiness fulfillment versus, um, you know, like first um, or second world, you know, mm-hmm. like how does maybe Thailand or, or that type of community tap into their fulfillment you know, versus how we do it here. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's actually a very profound, that's a very profound question. And the, there is a huge difference. And what you find in cultures that are not materially wealthy is um, actually a deeper kind of happiness because to me, and this is the essential message of my book is that it what brings happiness are relationships healthy happy relationships and those connections are what brings happiness and if you think about it for your own life certainly you'll see immediately the truth of that because you're happiest when you're doing something you like or love to do and you're doing it with people that you like and care and care about and if you're doing that you're going to have a happy fulfilled life it's just a matter of doing that and in the third world what you have are very strong relationships you have a lot of social connections. You've got people that are really deeply embedded in a family. They're really embedded in their communities and they have vibrant social lives. And that is the difference. And that's why you have such a radical difference in terms of social illnesses. Um, you don't have the kinds of the incidence of suicide and mental illness and mass killings and violence and craziness that you do in the West because they're connected they don't have these things in the third world. They have, there's, now there's a lot of other problems. Of course, their daily meet, needs are a struggle to meet. Uh, they die of diseases. They don't have, you know, we will, I won't even go into the laundry list of problems that, that poverty causes. But um, what they do have are rich relationships. And that is where happiness really comes from. And if your basic needs are met, you can have the other if you want it. And that is uh, the tragedy of the modern world, that so much of the world does struggle to have their basic needs met. And uh, so that's the essence. That's the heart of the book is, is it's about relationships and it starts with yourself. Every, every bit of it starts with making your own relationship with yourself and stripping it all away and getting down to that true self. And it doesn't take trauma, doesn't take 
pain. You don't have to go there. It just begins with an inner conversation and a willingness to open up and be honest with yourself. And that's all. That's where it begins. If you're willing to do that, then the transformation can occur. Uh, but you have to have that willingness to open that conversation. And that's the, that's the heart of it right there, Scott, Joshua. And I think that anybody uh, listening um, senses the truth of that, that uh, it's not, it's not complicated really. Totally. Yeah. I like that a lot. I liked how you said it's really about relationships. I think a lot of people can get so caught up chasing something um, and forget that it could just be something right in front of them. Super simple. It's something that we have trouble with here in the West. We, we don't like to be reflective. Well, I think that's, I think that's the biggest disconnect that we have mm-hmm. in the West with a lot of our Southeast, uh, Southeast Asian counterparts. And, you know, a lot of people that are in similar demographics is, I would just see the communal aspect with the, you know, the small amount of means. And I do believe that, you know, if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy, that, you know, as long as you have the bottom rungs of your hierarchy taking care of food safety shelter, that, you know, from there, everything else is, mm-hmm. is just a bonus. And what I saw time and time and time again is not, a, not an abundance of, you know, financial resources, but I, we would be eating at some restaurant and, you know, nine times out of 10, it wasn't a chain restaurant. It was a family owned restaurant and you would have cousins and extended cousins and family, like just hanging out at the restaurant and, you know, everybody would watch each other's kids. And like, there was just this sense of connection that and belonging. And I, you, like, you could just sense like belonging. the fundamental connection and happiness that they had. And I could definitely feel the stark contrast of yeah. what is in my environment in the U.S. in California in you know San Francisco, it's like you you can you can really feel it. And and there's a big part of me, especially when you when you're there long enough, and you actually get to feel like you're a part of that system for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you really feel just how beautiful it is. And look, there's not a there's not a perfect utopia anywhere, but there are certain aspects of it that are really beautiful. And I, and I do think that it's boiling it down to, like you said in the very beginning of the podcast, it's the bare essence of the the fundamentals and it's not what most people think it's it's you know we don't have to strive and be these type a personalities and achieve these huge goals mm-hmm. you know like you said earlier it's not about the goal itself it's about the destination and how do you love the process and what that destination is so you know m- my wish is to integrate more of that communal aspect that cultural aspect that we've just um, you know, that we've just kind of lost a little bit of sight on. And unfortunately, part of it does kind of go hand in hand with, with, with the amount of uh, resources that um, a community and that a nation has. When I think also so many people with their current families, they find reasons to leave. And not to say that they're wrong, not to, to judge anyone from it, but just you're in a third world country, you're just trying to survive. And a lot of times here, we have so many more, much so many more resources that it's a lot easier to say, well, I don't like my Mm -hmm. parents or I don't like my siblings and I'm out and people disappear Mm -hmm. and they go and they end up being with strangers who they don't know, who don't maybe not really care about them. Right. And we're kind of thrushed into the world or people leave or whatever happens. It's just a different, a little bit different of a structure here. And uh, I love the takeaway. It's like, maybe that's what you need. (laughs) Maybe it's as simple as just connecting with the people that you love and spending more time with them. And, 
Right. It's, it's being, it's being, you know, it's caring for people and having people care about you Mm -hmm. and building that network and creating that. And, uh, if you can do that, you, you've, you've got it nailed. Uh, it's just, you know, deciding that the wealth, the fame, the power, all of that, the material things, that's not where it's at. We spend all of our lives chasing these things, and it's not what brings happiness. It does not bring fulfillment. What brings fulfillment is doing what you really care about and what you love, doing that. What really matters is surrounding yourself with people that support you and care about you and share your values and your vision. That is the key. And if it's not that hard to do, you just have to shift your focus, shift your energy, shift your resources to more and more creating what it is that matters and what's important and what will bring happiness away from the vision that's being presented to you and that many people believe but will not bring fulfillment. It's as simple Mm. as that. Beautifully said. Um, so as we start to wind down the the podcast, um, what we like to do sometimes is just to get to know our guests just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do maybe just for a few minutes, we'll do some quick rapid fire questions. These are really mm-hmm. quick answers. Yes or no. And uh, if you're up for that, I'll, uh, Absolutely. I'll, I'll fire away. Okay. Go, right, go for uh, it. Are you a sweet or savory guy? Sweet. I'd say, I'd have to say, well, I love both really, but um, sweet, I guess. Yeah. Well, both, both is an answer. Okay. Uh, watch or no watch? Watch, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> talking or texting? What's your preference? Talking. Favorite day of the week? I'd have to say Sunday. New York or LA? Mm, tough one. I'll say LA. Any childhood names? Mm-mm-mm. No, I missed out on that. <laughs> Favorite holiday? Hmm. Halloween. Morning or night person? I've shifted over time. I'm a morning person now. I used to be night. This is a big one. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, last but not least, any guilty pleasures? I'd say my guiltiest pleasure is hair metal music. I really <laughs> love that rock and roll from the eighties and nineties. And it's so embarrassing, but yeah. So I this would, would this be the, the glam that the hair bands like uh, poison yeah, warrant, warrant uh, right. gun and roses. Right. So All the, right. I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's a terrible, terrible thing to admit. But yeah, yeah. I still love it too. So I'm, I'm a fan I still love it too. You know, my first concert I ever went to was a Warren concert. Uh, oh, one of my best concert I ever went to was a was a Guns N' Roses and uh-huh. uh, Metallica show. Was there you go. amazing. Yeah, I love that stuff. I, I still listen to it all the time. That's my biggest guilty pleasure. Oh, that's really beautiful. So I really want to thank you for being on the podcast, sharing your experience, uh, sharing your views. You know, any last thoughts or uh, parting um, comments, anybody that anything that you want to leave with, um, we'll also leave a link to where you can learn a little bit more about Mark, uh, to his book and all of that information. And, uh, so anything you want to leave with and then, uh, any other information on how people can get a hold of you and learn a little bit more about, uh, you and, and what you have to say. Okay. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it just was wonderful to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I would like to start a conversation with listeners, with people. I think um, a lot of authors have different motives involved. Uh, Mine's pretty simple. Um, 
not really that focused on material stuff or money, but I, I really do want change. And I really feel very strongly about that. I want to change our society and I want to change the world, make it a more compassionate place. And so the way to do that is uh, beginning by changing lives. So if anybody's interested, please, definitely, I have a comment section on every single page of my website, and I would love to open the conversation with listeners, um, especially criticism. I love criticism, uh, people, that because that's how you learn and grow is your mistakes. So uh, anybody that's listening that's interested, I'd love to talk to you. Um, my website is uh, HTTPS, uh, double slash, lastinghappiness.net and I'd love to see you guys there and uh, the book itself the full name is Lasting Happiness Secrets of the Heart, Mind and Spirit Revealed and it's available pretty much everywhere you can get it on Amazon, Kobo uh, Barnes and Noble and so on and so forth but again I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here talking with both of you guys today it was great, it was a wonderful experience and uh, I hope that we created uh, some value for listeners so that we gave some valuable tools out to help people change their lives. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. That was great. And uh, I really appreciated your story of, I always think it's amazing to help us move through when, you know, we hear another story of triumph that gives people more faith and hope. So thanks mm -hmm. for sharing your story and following your work. Absolutely. Thank you again for the opportunity to tell it. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you got a lot of value out of this. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, please feel free to ping us at podcast at masteringfulfillment.com. And again, leave any comments, questions, criticisms, anything that's on your mind. We look forward to hearing from you with deep love and respect. Bye-bye. Are you ready to take your personal, relational, or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one -on -one personal support, co-developed strategies, and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion, and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much.